Paul Wilner is a founding pioneer of College Pro, and yet he was never an employee. He was a trusted advisor, and as you will hear in our discussion and in this intro, Paul is this great combination of highly intelligent, creative, intuitive, and compassionate. As I was scripting out this bio, I went to his LinkedIn page, and I will tell you, I felt a little bit in inadequate. I suggest you pay it a visit, but to say he's accomplished is an understatement. You can call him doctor. He has his master's and doctoral degree from the University of Toronto, and he's been professor at both Concordia and U of T. I have known him as a consultant and advisor, but he's been a founder, co-founder, partner, or general partner of no less than 10 companies and organizations. His volunteer experience also includes being the founding chairman of, of the Center for Mindfulness Studies for the last decade. Again, something that I think shows that he was ahead of his time. In the description of his education, he talks about his doctoral research being focused on strategy and change management, and that his practice is founded on the principle that business strategy is an exercise in continuous applied organizational learning. Yep, impressive, humbling. I personally need to get moving to catch up to all that. But in his bio, he also mentions he's been working with first service brands for 32 years. The start of that was College Pro, and that's what we focused on through most of our discussion. Paul is my guru on learning organizations. I am partially a Wolnerite in our discussion, which was the longest that I've had so far. He and I geek out on that a little bit. He was a key architect of College Pro's learning organization that endures today, as well as so many other brands inside first service brands and outside of uh, first service brands and College Pro. He was clearly ahead of his time. You know, when we were talking in our discussion, we discussed grounded theory which is all the rage with some current thinkers like Brene Brown and Jim Collins. Paul was discussing and writing about grounded theory in 1982. What you won't necessarily know or hear about Paul is his calm and methodical approach to not being right, but trying to get it right. And College Pro has been the beneficiary. And to understand this conversation is to understand the deep foundation the College Pro is built on. You know, when I found out things that you know, I, I never really knew about Paul, like the fact that he lived in a commune, uh, made a living playing music, and was really excited to hear that he re recently returned to writing, recording, and playing music live. And hopefully some of those, uh, some of, of, of that will be in the liner notes for this intro. So it's not surprising that I lost track of time in our discussion, and it was such a pleasure to connect with Paul. It filled my cup. What I really didn't realize until after the fact was how much I missed talking to him and how much I've missed him since I've moved on to Clear Summit Group and how challenging and fulfilling a lot of the conversations are that I have with him. So I'm so proud of the continued success College Pro has had and the fact that it can be counted as part of his legacy. He's one of the foremost thinkers and practitioners of bringing learning organizations to life. And I hope you enjoy my discussion with him and hope it gives you a greater insight into how College Pro came to be. So Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's 50 summers for College Pro. Uh, we've been talking to a bunch of the leaders and usually my intro joke is about, hey, this is like GSNR. And then it's a little, <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's a little different with you because you helped create GSNR. So we can blame right. you for all, all of the Sunday That's nights right. and the Monday nights and the discussions yes. that, that we've yeah. had. Uh, 
And although this is going to be audio for many people, uh, you know, and I've got a couple, I, I'm always embarrassed when I have my, my guitars behind me and I'm speaking to a real musician. So <laughs> I apologize because I know it, 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 music's been a huge part of your life. I want to get yes. into that a little bit, but how are you doing? How has the last couple of years been? Uh, this is a unprecedented time for a lot of us. So maybe just, just a bit of an intro, how you're doing. Sure. Uh, well, good to talk with you, Tony. And it's actually great to have uh, uh, this opportunity to kind of reflect back on 50 years. It's hard to believe it's been half a century since the start of the business and, and a little less than that in, I don't know, 35 uh 36 years since i first worked i might not have the math right yeah uh first worked with quality control but um i'm doing well uh we're we're you know fortunate i would say in that in the sense that uh i've worked remotely for decades and mm -hmm. uh, and our how our homes are set up for that um and so that transition and uh, and given the nature of the work that I do, um, was not difficult. But of course, that's a very a view just from my, my perspective. The um, the last two years have been very intense, to say the least. Especially, I'd say the first three to six months of it, and just navigating um, uh, that that territory and 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 my role during that period with first service brands, which is kind of today's version of what was College Pro in one sense. I mean, it's much yeah. more than that, but um, was business continuity. And to be one of the leaders and architects of that process mm -hmm. during that time, because there's so much unknown. And um, yes, but we've, we are, we, our family have, have come through this, through this well. Well, that's how I tell the first service brands. I, I tell the story and, and the nice thing about being private versus is I can say whatever I want for the most part. Someone has to refute me. Yeah. So you, you go back and do some revisionist history. That's part of why I think these, these podcasts with, with yourself and, and your name came up in every, every discussion I've had so far. Uh, and so it, this is the, you know, we've been talking to some of the CEOs and, and then, you know, the college pros had the 10 plus one. This is the plus one, right? You had a couple plus ones yes. who really are, you know, our wise advisors that, uh, and trusted advisors that we've had. Um, and, and so take me back a little bit and I, I, you have to share with the group and I, I am, maybe I knew this in my previous life, Paul, but that you were a musician before you started your role. Yes. Your, your, your professional, your, the next part of your professional life, I guess, I guess I sort of knew that, but I only ever really knew you playing with, uh, there was the, the booklet, the Peacemonger booklet, you might know that music. Oh, yeah, book. sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we sang, we sang, you know, songs for Peacemongers. I know what yes. that was called yeah. in the early days of college pro when we went yes. away and I knew you were a musician. I knew you were, uh, a, super talented but maybe talk a little bit about because i love the discussion and you know when we were preparing for this you were telling the story on how you went from music into uh really I, i'd call it uh perform learning and performance organizations that that part of your world yeah. and you may call it yeah. something uh but when i think of learning organization your name's right up up there 
uh, yes. uh, in terms of how I think about it, but maybe take us back in the time machine and how you came to even be involved with College Pro. Sure. Um, and, and just by, I will go back to being a musician because that's how I got into the, in a way that my entry point to this field. Um, so I was all through high school, um, a working musician, um, in that singer-songwriter in that tradition, uh, coming out of the folk tradition. So I would play the various coffee houses starting from age about 15, I think was the first performance I would have given. And, uh, and then while I was in high school, I did one tour uh, across the country and uh, during the summer months, which was just an awesome, awesome experience. And then in university started a band for which I wrote all the music. And uh, we were located in Waterloo. We had all met at the University of Waterloo, but we had then post um, university, we continued on full time for a few years as, as musicians. And musician, being in a band um, is a very intense working, artistic and working relationship. Mm. And uh, and I'd also during that period been part of uh, modern term would be an intentional com community back then would be a commune where you're thinking well we're going to start fresh and we can create this really great organization this great community and then you start to run into all the complexities of doing that either having a band and making a go of it or or being part of an intentional community uh, I realized in my mid twenties that that, that I was not going to make my living through music and, uh, and through that path, then discovered applied social science. I already had a long lasting interest in psychology mm. um, and had been studying on my own um, psychology since I was about 13, as I was introduced to it by a quite inspiring teacher in my eighth grade and I started reading Freud and Carl Jung and uh, and the humanist psychologists like Rollo May. And uh, so that thread was already there and, it, and, and I got exposed to this field when I was uh, doing community development work in Montreal after I'd stopped being a full-time musician and the light went on. So this is, this is what I wanna pursue. And because it gave me models for understanding my experience in life up to that point, in when you're kind of uh, creating entities out of, out of air, in a sense. And it was, uh, so that's just what I pursued from there on in. I, I was thinking just to, I'm gonna jump fast forward to the present, so yeah. you get a sense of my bio, and then I'll go back to what I was doing when- Yeah, for sure. I, met Greg Clark. And by the way, I just, Greg was- Paul, just, Paul, just understand that every conversation I've had has not been linear. Okay, great. <laughs> Good. It has been like, okay, I have this agenda, but I have some input to the agenda, which yeah. is everyone I've been involved with in and around College Row and First Service Brands, it's sort of like, yeah, but I have an opinion, but I'd like to do this. So absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, I will follow, I will follow your lead on this. So now I'm going to go back to 1984, which is where I, I went, where and when I met Greg. So what was going on then? 
I was a, then a number of years past being a full-time musician. I found this field that I wanted to study. I went back, finished an undergraduate degree in Montreal at Concord University in applied social science. And then uh, went to the University of Toronto and did a master's and, and doctorate in educational theory. So I had just gotten my doctorate um, in 1983 when I was introduced to Greg. At that time, I had, while I was finishing off my doctorate, I was uh, recruited by the city of Toronto to come and work for the city manager and be the lead consultant internally. Um, and indeed the only consultant, we were using outside consultants. Um, on the restructuring of the public health services of the city. Wow. And it must be interesting seeing those two things and seeing what's going on now. Anyway, it's a whole different oh, absolutely. discussion. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because for the next, it, it, it was where I paid my dues to, to do the work I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I think it was like four and a half years earlier before being hired to do this. And, and within my tenure there, eventually becoming the director of the division, we had, had 14 consultants under me. And, and we were responsible for the whole of the organization design of the city, all the job designs. Whenever there was a policy change, uh, which required organizational change, then that was our responsibility. And a report that would go to council for approval for all of that, and the change management of all of that came from, wow. from my division. So I went from being an itinerant musician, puppeteer living on Prince Edward Island, because <laughs> for a while I worked in a puppet theater, um, <laughs> to kind of finding this field, just diving headfirst into it and finishing a doctorate and then being hired to do what I was hired to do. Starting that started in 1980. I had made this case because as I came into the city, um, I had reached an agreement. I said, periodically, because I already had a consulting practice before I started the city while I was doing my graduate work. And I said, it's important. I think I can bring more value to the city if periodically I work with organizations outside because I get broader perspective. You can get too, too inward looking. And, and if that comes up, I'll ask for approval to do it and I'll and it never will be many days, but I'll take leave of absence without pay. And so that's the, I had a very enlightened leader there, one of the best leaders uh, among, I've been gifted to work with a few great leaders and he was one of them. And uh, so he agreed to that. That led me to being introduced to Greg Clark through a mutual friend and, who was doing marketing at that point with California with uh, sorry, California classes with, with CertiPro. <laughs> I'm going back to the, uh, all the companies up to college pro. Yes. And um, I just wanted to mention that two weeks ago um, I, with my current band, so I'm writing again and performing again, but now not trying to make a living at it. Uh, both Cameron Kaloran, who introduced me to, to Greg Clark, and Greg Clark stayed at our house with us and came up for the show. And it was oh, wow. just awesome. It was the first time the, the three of us had been back together like for a few days since that time in 1984. So 
1984, Greg calls me and asks me to, to um, come in and help out at College Pro to design some training that we needed some way of, of having more effective coaching. And my response was to say, I don't do individual training programs. I'll work with you on building College Pro as a learning organization. And he said, uh, I like the concept. And uh, how about we do it this way? Come and do this one program. And then we'll, assuming that we both you know, get along and it's useful, we'll continue on. And uh, so that's how we got started. And the very first program that we focused on was goal setting and review, because at that time, uh, the height of technology, I think, were pagers. Yeah. There was no, no internet, no web. I mean, the internet existed inside of universities at that point, but not outside of that. And it, um, the, um, and we have our, each of our, our uh, general managers managing uh, franchisees has this a, a weekly 20 to 30 minute call and they're very disciplined and we need to make them effective. It was really a great, perfect, perfect storm in a sense for Greg and I to meet at that point because my background was a very behaviorally oriented Mm. And especially my undergraduate education at Concordia um, was very behaviorally oriented based in the applied social sciences and all of the faculty were practicing consultants. In fact, the chairman and, uh, the, and the past chairman of the department were instrumental in forming something that's called National Training Laboratories, which is on the East Coast of the US. A lot of modern management practices came out of it short form NTO, and they've been part of the signatures of the formation of that. So I was right at the roots. Mm. Uh, it was just dumb luck to be there in Montreal at that point. Um, right at the roots of a lot of what I still see because it had such strength behind it. In uh, I call that the, I mean, I, one of the pieces of prep is there's, as we talk further, it's timeless. There's timeless things. That's right. There, there, the the uh, you said, how does College Road still exist? Well, built on time, some time going back to how you helped build it, built on some timeless principles. They're timeless. They're That's like, right. you know, you can't, they're almost irrefutable. There's different variations on the theme, but they're almost irrefutable as necessary, right? That's exactly right. Because they were, what they were born out of was um, largely the, the work that it was coalesced around a fellow named Kurt Lewin or Kurt, uh, Kurt Levine, who had fled Nazi Germany and ended up, I think he was a professor at Princeton, but he ended up in, in, in the US and he had been in the UK during the war. And, and there, there was real applied research going on there about how, how do humans learn? How do, we, how do humans change behavior? Um, what are organize, what are organization dynamics? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so it, there was a study that he did 
during World War II in, in, in Britain. I think it was him. Um, that that they said, we need people to grow victory gardens because we need food. So let's, we'll run an experiment to see how we can motivate people. So they did a, a they did one, uh, one, one group where they um, came in and they gave them a, something like this, gave them a lecture on why they should have a victory garden. Another group, they showed a film and, and gave a lecture and why they should have a victory garden. And the third group, they gave a lecture, showed a film, and then had a discussion among the group about having victory gardens. Well, as you can imagine, the third group was the one that had the highest yep. percentage of people adopting it. And it was that pension toward understanding human behavior at a broad level, at the, the timeless level, as you were just saying, that really fuel and, and, and a pension toward more democratic and humanistic approaches. Mm -hmm. Another kind of uh, name in the early on founding of this field was a, a last name was uh, Wiseboard, and his family had a factory, and it was about to be shut down. It was running into so many problems, and and his he went to the workers in the factory and said, "Here's what's going to happen. Can we join together to solve this problem?" And so this mixture of um, let's open the dialogue further inside of organizations about how we move forward. I mean, none of this sounds revolutionary today. No. But in the 50s and 60s, it was. Well, it, uh, it, it, it's interesting as you're saying that because there was almost a, a section of time where I would say hardcore command control, do exactly this, which is a bit counter to what you're saying. Yeah. So the thing, the thing that's timeless is underneath that. That's what we'd want. And that's what a lot of, a lot of organizations and that humanistic part of it, you know, I, I know certainly in clear summit group, the idea of agency and self-regulation, self-direction yes. to achieve your goals, is, it, it's center to what we're doing central, or at least we're trying to make it central. It's an imperfect, it's an imperfect uh, <laughs> situation. Where we're trying to make that central to what we do because we think, it's, uh, I think what's happened through the pandemic, if I would say 2008, uh, the customers became the leaders. Yes. I think in, in 2021, the employees have taken their, their uh, space right next to them. So the gig working and employee, it's almost inseparable, right? The yes. gig workers, employees, you have to treat them effectively the same. They have to dig what they're doing and, and that humanistic and growth and potential, all that. And in, but in between that, I think that's where we're going. Don't know. I, I could, but I think that's where most people want to go. Yes. And that gets to human nature. It's yeah, like yeah. In, in, in coming back to my, what I was mentioning about public health, which is a big part of my focus as I worked with the city um, during the 1980s. Um, there's an epidemiology, which is now a lot of people understand what that term means given COVID, is where if you're trying to understand the nature of a disease, studying one or two individuals doesn't tell you much to, in terms of predicting. But if you study a broad enough population, then you, you start to see these patterns that are timeless related in that case to a disease state. 
On the positive side, it's the same thing. If there's certain practices you bring to humans in organizations in, in the uh, early half of the 20th century and engage with them in a certain way, uh, by engaging certain ways, which is a much more collaborative way, then, then you can you'll get predictable outcomes, and that's what the that's what the research and all of the consultants back in the earlier days of this field were academics. They were all they came from academia, um, and they were all research based. So there are a lot of models, for example, then not a number of models, not a lot, on group development. How do we understand the phases that work groups will go through predictably? And then what can you do to facilitate that um, and, and to allow that to emerge and help the group understand what's happening when it's happening? So coming back to when Greg and I started working together, the reason I said it was a really perfect match was because my background was all model competency model based. Mm. So I had a competency model for setting and not that created, I've been taught it and then modified it, but it, it, here's how we do problem solving. These are the steps. There's a conflict to be resolved. Here's a model for, here's the steps to be goal. You're gonna set goals. Here are the elements of an effective goal. You're going to coach. Here's what's required for effective coaching. So I, I brought all of that fresh out of my undergraduate, graduate school training. I was teaching at the University of Toronto masters and doctoral students on how do you build a learning organization. So I was already having to codify it for others. Right. And, uh, and right when Greg got in touch with me and the meeting of the minds was, I remember there was a book written about entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs in, uh, in Canada around that time. And there was a chapter on college pro painters and they described college pro painters as the IBM of the painting business because it was so systems oriented. You know, that was Greg's genius is, Take a business uh, which is completely fragmented. Um, the best of the people doing it are, are craftsmen and artisans. Um, the barriers to entry very low. And what Greg brought was, well, I can systematize this business. What are the steps in doing an estimate? What are the steps in painting a, a, painting a home? And so when he brought me in, asked me to, to start to work with College Pro, um, we were both on the same page to say, if we're going to, it's one thing to say you want to collaborate with people. It's another thing to have productive models for actually doing that. And I think yeah. that's what's, what's made it enduring, is we've been able to translate the intention of collaboration the intention of, of supporting human development and to say to do that, they're actually, you need to be competent at it. And there are steps to being competent. And these steps aren't, aren't created just out of someone's mind. They're steps created out of a mixture of research and an application of that research and learning from it. So I wrote that down, Paul, intention into action. Yes. Yeah. Which one is, of my, 
Go ahead. No, no, no. The because I I can't I've I repeated those types of words for the last eighteen months in the new organization. It's yes. not the idea. It is the idea because that's super important. It's the translation of that idea into action, the iter continuous iteration of that idea. That's right. To learn to to self learn on it or or create the system. There systems, but you need the underlying skills in order to be able to do that. It's sort of like saying, hey, let's throw everyone out and play hockey, but they haven't yes. played hockey. You need the systems and the learning and the right. passing and the shooting. Like yes. for me, the skills have always been the passing and the shooting and the uh, uh, stick handling, all the, uh, all the aspects and the skating yes. and putting it all together to kind of, you know, perform in something. And it's not that linear, but it no. is. But, but yes, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's you orchestrate it's, it's simple in concept and it's really common sense in a sense yes. know, to say, well, of course, if you're going to set a goal, for example, it should be pretty specific and, you should be able to measure whether or not you achieve it and it should be actionable. It should be within the resources of the individual to achieve it or the team or the organization. Um, the roles should better be clear yeah. and better have a sense of how it happens over time. Everybody will nod their head and say, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I, I get that. Doing it and actually practicing it um, is another, another thing. And, and that's, I know over the years, I, I know you re referenced this in our conversation last week, Tony, that it's one, when you start to bring these concepts out to the organizations, you'll get them, generally get the nodding of the head, but that next step, which is, well, you as a leader actually have to model this behavior. So the change doesn't start with you telling the people below you what they have to do, you with them will learn this, this, let's just take goal setting and coaching. You'll learn that skill and you'll get feedback on it. And then you'll model it. And just as others are. are well, it's interesting. It was, and I, I, I call it, it's, it's supervisor led. I also say inside out. Yeah. So if it, you know, we started with the leaders in 2019. I was not worried. I was a consultant as well, Paul. Yeah. With clear summit group saying, here's some of the things that we have to do. Yeah. And then we'll have to, and then it took a year before we could bring it out to everybody. Yeah. Uh, as well, which is just, it's just interesting. You can't leapfrog the work. No. I wish there was a way, a magic yeah. way, but you can't leapfrog the work, which is the biggest hump in the, in the age of speed. There's things that we have to get mastery on that, that you have to build on that is yes. going to allow you to go fast, but you have to go yes. slow on some things to go fast. And it's not to be cliquey in my words or colloquial, but it, you have yeah. to go slow and get mastery in depth. It's really hard to solve problems if you aren't well-versed in problem solving. That's right. Exactly. Um, so, so at that time, after that initial work that I went on with, working closely with Greg and and we would and, and eventually you know design the conflict resolution model the problem solving model um, uh, effective meetings model the, um, the leading uh, adult learning uh, or adult development the lead model uh, facilitation skills model 
And as we were, so we were doing that work at the same time, because that spoke to individual skills. And, and we were also, and this goes with the learning organization strategy, then we were having conversations about, well, we need to think about this as a whole system with subparts to it. So how do is it that we develop business strategy? That that treats strategy itself as a learning process. How is it that we, um, in other words, um, that a strategy was morphing at that time away from strategic planning and strategic management. College pro necessity was in the strategic management camp because there's such a narrow window to achieve results. Yep. And, and so we started things, for example, having an annual meeting of all of the full-time staff and some of the leading franchisees. And, and one of the elements we brought into that meeting was each region of the country, and then as we moved into the US, each part of the US would at one point in the annual meeting where we talked about, we were talking about the strategy, the goals for next year, people would stand up representing their area of the continent and 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 the format was really simple it was um what were our goals for this year um did we hit them or not uh, uh and and what are our key learnings as an organization and i remember that i remember that yeah and it was, it was a i think it lasted well into the 2000s so yes yeah and that piece is important because it, it sets the the mindset of that we're all there's always going to be gaps between what we aspire to and what we achieve and uh, and that's not the issue the issue is if you don't surface it and talk about it and don't see it as an opportunity to to learn and and continuously develop the so that, that we worked on the strategy level then we also we had conversation about compensation or oh, the other uh, key model that I developed early on was the interviewing skills the hiring and interviewing yeah. selection recruiting interviewing and selection model and and again it was just it was bringing all the things that having been swimming so deeply in the field uh, and, and it was really intense uh, five years of experience that of education and that it was all there so i could bring that and then greg and i would take it together and we 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 modify it like shape it together the piece that was really a breakthrough for us was a couple of years into it we realized well we're having these great workshop experiences people are really liking it uh <laughs> and then this is feedback i've gone through in my career paul you could do better on the sizzle side you're really great on the yeah. content <laughs> uh but uh uh we need more sizzle uh, there's a lot of sizzle really, there's yeah. a lot of sizzle in college there's a lot of sizzle 
No, but he was talking about me. Yeah, no, I know, but there was a lot <laughs> of presentation in, in the rest of the rest of. Oh, the yeah, throat. there was no yeah, lack of physical. That's true. Oh yeah, it's not it's not as if you really needed more. Um, the it was something maybe just generationally to Tony that was going on, and and I don't know today, you know, whether this you would characterize college pro, but I remember that one of the very first social events that. I went to with my wife Roberta, and we were, and and she commented on just like how genuinely interested people who worked at College Pro were in other people, mm. and and that um, that says something about that readiness. You know, there's none of these factors that come together that that would lead to this longevity of the business, the longevity of these models. And it's not just one part or one person, right? Um, I remember just actually referencing back to music, I writing a song a couple of years ago. It is that something like, it, the line lines went something like, everybody likes the story of the, the, the one hero, but it takes many hands to make great work. Mm. And, and um, so anyway, coming back to what we were working on then, we realized that, the, that we didn't know whether these skills were sticking or not. And Greg's brother, Tim, was at that point working as a, at the national level, setting the ski standards for instruction in Canada. He was kind of at that level of, the, of uh, skiing. And so Greg knew about the, the, the instructor and coaching certification process and scheme. And he said, well, why don't we adopt that hmm. for our purposes? So that's how we started the certification process. We said, we need a way to find, uh, to, to ensure that these processes and these models are actually being used and being used well. Yeah. I call that the, how do you know that, you know, when I'm explaining it, the certification is, how do you know that, you know? Yes, ex absolutely. And, and that, that, that's easy. Oh, okay. So in order to do that, there's this process. Yeah. You know, and there's I, this I remember, observation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say that the, the, I remember one of the very first, when we were really rolling out fully, was that one of these, these uh, annual fall big meetings. We were showing, not showing, we were experiencing with, with people the process of being certified. And it was around coaching skill. So if you can imagine this, we had brought into a meeting room at Geneva Park. Yep. All the painting equipment. And we got permission to paint walls. So someone would be at a wall painting. There, a general manager would be guiding them and coaching them on painting. There was a, a person who was going to certify at some level, the general manager on their coaching skills. They were observing the, uh, the general manager as they coached. And then we wanted to illustrate what an examiner was. So then the examiner, it was an examiner, um, uh, 
observing the person coaching the GM on their coaching skills who was coaching the painter. And, and, uh, and then we went out and rep after that, went out and replicated it with estimating. Where and I remember our house was one of the houses in the city. We and and so you have the franchisees show up, the general managers show up, and the and the uh, the examiner who was giving feedback to the general manager on their coaching skills. So it was really, it's, it's, it, it sounds almost over complex to do, but that's the only way you could see that there was a through line yep. in the model to someone actually using it in work. Um, and it, it, what you're what what is also I I found is it spreads out the institutional knowledge. Yes. So in a we in a way, and I don't know if Greg was so you guys were thinking about it. You go, I'm not as stressed if this person leaves because we distributed the skills. Yes. Across, and it wasn't oh this person is a superstar if we lose them. No, well that skill we've proven out that we can develop that skill, and we've proven out. Not perfectly, but we know that if we lose somebody, that the skill is somewhere someone can coach somebody else. Exactly. Um, it, right. So it, it distributes the institutional knowledge. And, and, turn, and when you think of learning, you know, I always, always say in order to have a learning organization, you got to organize the learning, right? And sort of exactly right. It, it, it is, you know, all these catchphrases that keep me going on the thing that we're trying to do yeah. Uh, yeah. on it, but it, it is, it's less stressful. And, and why, you know, in, in, in startup organizations now, where a key person leaves, there's a lot of stress, right? Because <laughs> lo you lose the institutional knowledge that goes along with that person. Yes. So the more you have a learning organization where it's, in a way, you know, in our organization, we have communities of practice that learning is shared, uh, shared as well, right? Exactly right. Yeah. Yes. The, um, and, and, and there's a... a to me, a, a great metaphor for that, which is a hologram and, and the, the properties of a hologram versus a photograph. If you tear off a piece of a photograph, you lose that piece of information. Um, it, it's, it, it, in a hologram, each piece of the hologram contains the information of the whole hologram, ah. holographic image. So you can remove parts of it and the and, and the, all the information that was originally contained in the image is still there. And that's exactly, you're, you're, you're right on the mark. That's exactly what, when you, there's that benefit of the learning organization. There's an, another one, which we're, we're still working on and reinforced constantly. And it gets more and more difficult as more and more people are brought in at more senior levels into the, the current family of businesses, and they come with their own life business experience. Right? And that is common shared language and concepts. Hmm. The power of shared language and concepts, and we saw this early on in College Pro, was when we would come together, because at those times to collaborate, you really need to be in the same room if you need some in-depth collaboration. We could and this was around the strategy level, we could say to a group of, get a mixed group together, people from all across North America, you know, New England to Vancouver, to Toronto, to the Maritimes. Okay, you group of six people, here's a problem that we need to solve as a business. Go away and 
and we're going to give you an hour, work on this problem and come back with, with your recommended solutions and a set of, and a preliminary action plan, critical path, who, what, who's doing what by when. Come back in draft form, uh, bring that back. Now, if we didn't have the shared problem solving model, it would be like the biblical example of Tower of Babel. People would be speaking, because the way I yep. come at problem solving, it is, could be different than you, Tony. And what we know about problem solving, it maps against personality types. So people who are more uh, divergent in their thinking, preferred thinking style, or if you think go to Myers-Briggs, more perceivers and judgers, where they love lots of options and don't want to close yep. things. They're going to want to spend a lot of time. Let's really think this through and let's generate a lot of options. Let's not move too fast. And meanwhile, the people in the group who are more judging in personality orientation want to get to action. I can say, we're wasting time. <laughs> so what the problem solving model did, and, and it's part of what we would teach people about problem solving, is that each of these steps represents a different personality style. And you're going to be more comfortable probably in one or two of them. Know that your style is addressed somewhere in the model. Yep. We need all the styles to, to uh, solve problems effectively. The, the blessing for me in my work, frankly, was that there was people at starting with Greg who would say, that's cool. Let's think about that. Not only think about it, but let's put it into action. And right. So they, 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 in general, and I find this as well, try, they submit it to the process. Yes. It wasn't about the ego part of it. So they let part of it, they submit like, okay, instead of fighting about like, let's submit to the process and get into the process and move through it. Our ego might show up in some parts of it because yeah. it's life and yeah. it's humans. Uh, but yeah. you submit to the process and in the process you find the answer. And it's, I mean, and if it's, if frankly, if it's, the language is there and it's taught well and you take the barriers out it's it, i i uh, and that's it's so interesting because we you know we did our our problem solving session uh in january of this year yes with 40 people inside the business and it yeah. was just this wild experience i call it rock and roll because it yeah it's virtual and but that language allowed the process and then yeah. technology helps a ton now but yeah You've seen it because that was a college pro and then it sort of morphed into the franchise company because that's correct. Greg sold it. Uh, and I don't know where I had imagined there's a lot of counsel that you gave Greg as he was selling it uh, uh, behind yes. the scenes in terms of quiet personal yes. discussions that don't really yes. necessarily want to talk, but it, it morphed into the franchise company. Yes. Maybe speak a little bit to that about what you saw the beginnings of and how that sort of yes. came to life differently. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that um, that was in 1988, 89. 89, yeah. When that took place. And um, at that time, Greg and I were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. In retrospect, you know, it was the best thing for the business because there was 
Greg would say now uh, uh, that there were parts of what the business needed that he didn't see. What uh, Jay Hennick, who acquired um, at College Pro, and at that point Jay had run a um, superior pool, a, a pool maintenance business, uh, in mainly I think it was just in Toronto at that at that point, and College Pro, and then he'd also gotten one or two other small uh, franchise systems like a lawn care and um, business. And so I remember going down and meeting with, with, which is hard to imagine now, given the size and scale and 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 and, and share price of, for a service. But I remember I'm going to knock wood. I'm going to knock wood. I'm still a shareholder. So yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're we're reasonably good heads. Yeah. Um, the uh, meeting with Jay down at his, he was working full time as a lawyer. And so I, if I had, a meet, I had a meeting with him, it was at like 6 a.m. in the morning before anybody else got in the office before he started his lawyerly day. And it's because he saw what his path was going to be. What shortly after the sale, Steve Rogers, who then became the, the CEO, president of College Pro Painters, I had a home office at that point, which also had a meeting room attached to it. And we spent about two days at my home office in that meeting room where the, as you would appreciate, the whole, the walls were covered with flip charts. Yeah, you don't see what I have beside me, but I have pictures of the flip charts from 2007, where you did the same work with Steve and Paul and myself on College Pro. And oh, is that the one at, at the, at the uh, old mill? Yes. Yeah, at a different time, I'll, it's interesting how many of those things it's now taken 14 years to do, but we're starting to do some of them. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. just wild. Yeah, I'd, love, I'd love to have that conversation too. So what, and it was really Steve, and I think it had come out of Steve and Jay. What Jay brought to the table was, I'm going to bring more finance. College Pro had been bootstrapped at that point up to that point by Greg personally, his credit card, his more, his house. Um, that's how the business went from year to year. And, and Jay brought uh, this view of, I'm gonna make a, a collection of companies. There's gonna be a financial function and funding available. What Steve brought and what we worked on over those few days was the idea that um, if we could recruit, train, and operate student franchises, students who had never been in business to run a successful franchise, we should be able to do that with adults <laughs> and full-time franchises. So that was the creation of TFC. And the, the courageous leap that Steve took at that point was he created this role for him as CEO of, of the franchise company and his replacement as, as uh, president CEO of College Pro Painters. And I remember that in that conversation saying to him, you know, if this doesn't work out, you may have a job that doesn't have any responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, 
if the acquisition and management of, of full-time franchise platforms doesn't happen, this, this, you're really, you know, and, and, and to, to his credit and foresight and courage, personal courage. And I think personal courage is a, is definitely a, a part of both business success and interpersonal success. Yeah. Um, assertiveness versus aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what really set the trajectory ever from that point on with the business, because it 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 did happen that the and it took years for the these sets of skills and the human resource highway concept that we originated yep. at that point to come really fruition because a lot of the platforms that were acquired then often there were key people from within college pro that would become senior managers or middle managers in those businesses so that was that breaking off pieces of the holograph and all of that knowledge going with that person. And, and when Steve stepped down from his role and, and Charlie Chase came into it to head up what is now called for service brands, Charlie took that to another level in focusing on brand experience, which more commonly called customer experience. Yep. And, and then more recently on leading strategic change methodologies, which was driven by a conversation we had with all of the presidents saying, what's brought you to this success is not necessarily what's going to get you over the next seven years. So it's interesting and, as you're, as you're speaking and I'm, yeah. it, it is because, because the, the series is called torch given yes uh, this podcast series because there's the element x which college pro has been doing yes. since the summer of uh last summer 49 and we're calling it summers instead of years because it's sort of more fun yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting greg realizing it what what got me here won't get me there it's time to pass the torch yes and steve and steve did his 20 years worth of work yeah. and 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 i think Char- with charlie's you know, with, with help with trusted advisors, right? Yes. Because someone who has had the institutional knowledge of you included and, and others as well, and, you know, on the brand side with Edward, I think some, sometimes some parts of it as well, but it's just, it is meeting the world where it, where it is. That's the ability that's right. to meet the ability to say, this is whatever we think it is. This is where the world is. Let's meet it and then grow based on meeting the world where it is and iterate as we go and build talent people and strategic change but it and i think that was one of the and and you know in my mind where i thought you know it, it was the era of the customer couldn't have happened at a better time correct <laughs> and that, yes. i think there's another challenge happening now oh yeah yeah, yeah. there's a whole yeah, other sure. thing happening now which which we almost want to have a master conference or go away somewhere and say how are we going to take advantage of this right now yeah, amongst amongst trusted people who you know are trying to solve the same problem. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be really interesting. Super super interesting. Anyway, uh, so just uh, coming back, I, oh, I, the point I uh, you should remind the point I wanted to make earlier that some of the things like that focus on customer, for example, the brand experience focus that we've had. Um, that that the 
that goes right back to Greg. You remember there's a business reply card at the end of each yep. job. Um, the customer was asked to fill out a card and would be handled. And that was always part of the GSNR conversations and, and the review of the year and how was our score. And, uh, and then roll the camera ahead. I remember how many years ago would be now, maybe 10, 12 years ago, maybe even longer than that now, my son was a college co-franchise. And then one of his points of pride uh, in Halifax, which where his franchise territory was, where he went to university, was that he had a 10 out of 10 from every customer. Mm. So while we elevated brand experience, Charlie and, uh, and, and me working with him um, and leading that program uh, over about a seven year period where it, it was pulling on something that was already there. It wasn't like, okay, now we've got to pay attention to the right. customer. We all had, we, the system, the, but coming back to shared language and knowledge, each of the, at that time, six or seven companies, we're now down to five, six or seven companies, each had their own version of how they measured customer satisfaction and what they did with it. And so what we wanted to do was raise, raise that knowledge across the board, learn from one another, and also address another part. So if you remember, like, uh, just to give, uh, give context, because it's so easy to lose sight of this. In 1984, when I started working with College Pro, Greg would have been about 30 or 32 years old. The vice presidents were 25 years old, generally. And the, the general managers were maybe in their like 2022 years old. You got it. And, and there was, I don't know, 20 full-time staff maybe and and the um and everybody who was in a senior management role had been on the front line themselves mm-hmm. or 90 percent of them knew the business intimately from the ground up the roll the camera ahead north of a two billion in system-wide sales revenues now at the height of the season because there's still a lot of seasonality to business 20 to 23,000 uh deployed workforce yeah. four to four to five thousand full-time employees a lot of people coming in from other industries other businesses you'll start to lose touch with what our customers really experience so part of what we did and, and the program that really turned the corner on our brand experience work, which we got to about the second or third year into it, we realized that we were just like with training back in 1984. Right now, what I'm about to say is like a slap on the forehead, simple. So it's time to get, you have to, it takes you a little bit to get there. We were advancing things. We got everybody on the same NPS system of measurement. We brought Fred Reichold in. He became a, a director on the board of directors for First Service, our parent company, and um, all of that stuff. And we're moving the needle, but not as far as fast as we wanted to. And I remember coming to Charlie and saying, well, there's here's three or four program options we could do. Uh, and one of them, which was to me the most radical, uh, and, and, and said, let's, we, 
we'll start a program where if you're coming to our brand experience summit, so we bring in 150, 200 people together from across all the companies from franchise level up to the present CEO level, a diagonal cross section of each brand for two days focused on nothing but customer experience. In order, well, in preparation for that, you will become a customer of a system, sister brand. Which Not was only, a Harvard case, Harvard case study. That, no. now that Harvard has written this up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. just as, as people listen to this, it's not, it's our, it's been written up. You can go read it. It's a Harvard, That's right. yes. it's yeah. a Harvard yeah. case study. If people are interested, I think yes. in the liner, in the liner notes, when we get to this, we will put a connection to your, to your music, as well as the Harvard case. If people are okay, interested cool. in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, so I said to Charlie, what we do is, we will ask people in, in before they come to the summit to become a customer of a sister brand. And, and what we will do as well is we will create a, uh, an online survey that they will fill out about their experience. Because at that point, through the previous years, we had developed a customer journey map mm -hmm. um, based on my research and work in that area and an input from literally hundreds of people in sessions. You know, here's the general map, what's important at each stage and so forth. And that piece of completing the online survey was really critical because otherwise you're just having the experience just as customers do and they don't really parse it. Right. This may people inside the business to be anthropologists of their own business or of a sister brand business and to start to understand the commonalities, like the universality of what people want when they're dealing with a service business. And this partly came out of, at that point, about 10 years of work that Charlie and I had done in this area already at, at Certipro. So now we're bringing it out to all the companies. In addition to filling out this survey, then when we get, and this became the complex part and the part where it really ignited. When we bring people together, the bulk of those two days was we would have people, let's say you were California Closets. All of the people who had been customers of California Closets would meet in a room. We'd break it down into smaller groups, but over usually two groups we could, um, cover everybody. The staff at College Pro Painters would be sitting on one side of the room, more or less. And their job was just to listen mm -hmm. and to hear back from all. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. And that's like face to face. That's personal. Oh, no, no. I remember it. I remember yeah. the discussions and the work that came out of that. And 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 that still continued till the point that we purchased College Pro and still continues actually inside our inside our business. Um, and, and what's so important about that, Tony, is if, if you take that thread right back to the strategy sessions with at College Pro when it was a bunch of twenty-year-olds and early thirty-year-olds, like I was in my early thirties at that point. Um, 
we were we were asking people to say what went well, what didn't go well, and what did you learn? Yeah, and I may I may cut this out of the podcast, but there's a, a research methodology. What is the research methodology where you get feedback? You get feedback once the feedback doesn't change that much. That has a truth to it. What is that called? Oh, there's a that's a that's a good point. Um, the way I I I know that methodology is it's called grounded theory. Grounded theory, and I just because I just heard Jim Collins and and Brene Brown talking about it on the Dare to Lead uh, podcast. That's well, that, their... you know what's interesting about that is when I was in graduate school in my dissertation, I wrote a, a, a chapter on grounded theory methodology to understand <laughs> complex organizational phenomena, and and I only found this out years later that the professor who taught the research methods in the department to other to PhD students, he took that chapter out of my dissertation and it was part of the teaching program huh. at, 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 uh, at the University of Toronto in the graduate program on research methodologies. And, and that's that grounded theory that, you, yes, exactly right. You keep gathering data and gathering data is the simple part. It's the analysis of it and absorbing it, thinking about it until you're not seeing new patterns. Then, then that's you can move on to refine your question or refine your line of inquiry. There's a, uh, it's really signed. One way I've described my work with organizations is to help <coughs> leaders and managers and people inside of the organization to be scientists of their own experience a scientific method of, of thinking about your experience and making sense out of it. There's something I, I just I, I, I wanted to mention. So as I tell this story, you know, there's Greg and Steve and now Charlie, and I've been there the whole time, but I've never been full-time. Mm. And, and along the way, I've co-founded other businesses like the one I read, mentioned, recent, you know, the digital ad. Um, I took what we did the same methodologies and brought it to uh, uh, an, uh, one of the very early online person, personals companies uh, called Lava Life here in Canada, working with an ex-college pro, uh, Nick Payne, who was one of the four founders. They started to call me the fifth founder of that business. Yeah. And, and we grew it from 19 employees operating in two cities starting 1990. And by 97, we were in 22 cities across North America. And every time we opened up the city because of the state of technology, we had to open a new contact center. And we would also were operating in a couple of cities in Australia. And we eventually sold the business. And I, the last three years, I was chairman of the board there. Um, and we built that, we went from 19 employees to about 600 employees and, and it was profitable all along the way. We, and, and then I, I just worked in a number of industries, like another one was versus technologies, uh, which was a uh, technology-based business out of Toronto that allowed um, privacy and secrecy for large corporations that were going to make trades instead of doing it through a broker where then the broker could kind of quietly let a bunch of people know what was going to happen and um, 
corporations or large traders could protect their privacy and what they were doing. This is a technology basis for doing that. And that was eventually acquired by E-Trade um, as a business. So as, and then in 94, 95, we started started discussions with my then consulting partner and two other gentlemen, and we co-founded a syndicated research consultancy business that that uh, was focused on. It was just about a year. We launched a year before Mosaic became Netscape, which which was the first visual browser, and. Um, and, uh, and what we called it, because the web wasn't existing as a term, we called it network interactive multimedia. When you think of what the web is, that's what it is. Yeah. Network is interactive and it's multimedia. And, we, and our premise was that the world was gonna be changed by this. And, uh, the, uh, and, and a lot of firms who one of our partners who had access to this level of C-suite um, across, North America primarily and mainly the US signed on for our syndicated research. So we had IBM, Microsoft, Apple, Hewlett Packard, Xerox, uh, Procter and Gamble, all of the major car corporations. We were, uh, most of the major consulting firms um, were all clients of ours as we were doing this exploratory research and futuring of what technology was gonna to do to their business and their customer experience and to the world in, in, in general, in the first program, we published over 30,000 pages of analysis across seven industries. And that was with a team of about seven people. Uh, and what it did to me was it pulled me in I was already working in Lava Life and, and versus technology. I was already in technology-based businesses, but it pulled me right into the center of this explosion of the dot-com era. And I ended up, I was in Silicon Valley about once every six weeks for a few days, because what we were doing, and we were there in the first thousand days of the web. And we would do, and what was valued by our large corporate partners, and uh, uh, that, that working with us was that we would we would do what we call lighthouse studies of these new emerging organizations like eBay when it only had angel funding and had this emerging model and say well what is this model what creates trust why would people engage with it what what's essential to its um, its success and we'd write these forty or fifty case studies for each round of our syndicated research would generally last about 18 months or so. So the reason I wanted to mention all of that was just as I had said back at the, when I was working at the city of Toronto, where I thought working outside would bring more value back to the city. I think that's why I'm still <laughs> working with first service brands after all these years, because, and this goes to the heart of learning that, that as an individual, what we're the both the challenge and the and in some respects the delight of living in these times is you truly do need to be a, a lifelong learner. Yep. And and that's how you stay relevant. 
and when well, you I want to, I, I want, yeah, I, I, if it's okay, okay, yeah. because it's almost getting into your top three things, right? We've been at it. We've been okay, at it yeah, a little, yeah, just a little over, and, and and you know, it's in, it's 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 uh, uh, you know, Steve Rogers. I don't like a list longer than three, which is yeah, yeah, he's yeah, full, yeah. He, he always adds like bullet points under the one point, so it's like seven yeah. or eight points, but a list no longer than three. But you know, if you think about and it's it's really your message to if you think there's still 18 to 22 year olds in the class of 50 here yes. uh the 50th summer they're going to listen to this they're uh lots of alumni it's going to go out as we communicate with the thousands of yes. alumni that we have contacts with but you're sort to say if you think about the three things or three pieces of go-to wisdom that you would give them right now what would those be well i guess i would start with the last thing i was saying which is commit yourself to being a lifelong learner. Have an inquiring mind. Um, be open as part of that to feedback, garner knowledge, but understand that any success that you achieve is, is, is gonna be temporary. And the only way to make it more sustainable is by continuously learning as a person. From the point of view of, if you're developing an organization, uh, I think my second major point would be, if you are oriented to being a lifelong learner, another closely related term is reflective practitioner. You're reflecting on your own practice. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Warren Bennis, who was a, a great thinker and practitioner and writer and did one of the seminal studies on leadership that I think of it has ever been done. Uh, and, and he said that the mistake that most managers and leaders make is they think their, their, their job is um, to manage others and be a leader. And in fact, it's the reverse. It's to manage themselves and then through that leading others. And that goes back to something that we, I was talking about earlier about the, the importance of the, the strategy at the heart of College Pro in its, all of its development processes was uh, core competencies to an agreed set of standards delivered through the chain of command. It can never outsource that. You can outsource the initial adoption of a, of a competency, but that's gotta be living and vibrant within the, the, the chain of command to have sustainability and authenticity and out of that authenticity will become sustainability. There's a meritocracy toward, you know, I could be entry-level hired and I could be as skilled at problem solving as a CEO. And that makes that there's a merit in that. The third piece is that you truly do need to think about, and, and uh, my life since leaving the city is focused on entrepreneurial business, being an entrepreneur myself and helping entrepreneurs. And, and they're the people within the business. And, and that you need to think about it as a, a, 
whole system with different parts and you cannot create all of those parts in one instance. You, you need to work on one, then you need to work on another, and you're usually using the capacity to do more than one or two in a year to create them, whether it's compensation systems, technology systems, which are by definition evergreen, goal setting systems, cultural systems, et cetera. And the last question has been kind of uh, that third, uh, part of that third element was at one time in a meeting that would have been related to College Pro and related to, to, to TFC when my own two sons were just toddlers. I said that part of my mission in life and in my work is to create organizations that are positive examples of capitalism and, and where the development of the business success goes hand in hand with the development of the people within it. And, and my mission was to create businesses where as people left those businesses, they actually left because people do move on um, with more life skills than they entered with. And ultimately where I would feel good about my own children or the children of my friends and family going to work in one of these businesses because I knew they would do right by them. At the same time, as it, it wasn't a, a summer camp. There was performance that was required, yeah. but you could do the both at the same time. And it, and it turned out in, in my case that both my sons at some point did work for College Pro. One is a painter and the other is first as a, a first as a painter and then later as a franchisee. So that was, that was, a, that was good to see. So that's a question I would ask people as you're building businesses, are you building businesses where you would want members of your family to work there because it's a good place to work? Uh, so the, I mean, I, I call that pride as well. So you proudly yes, recommend uh, yes. that, and that's part of the NPS. I, I, uh, I have, a, and I will tell a small story, although we might cut it out of this poll. Yeah. But I remember when my wife got uh, business cards and they had been misprinted and she said, don't worry. And someone said to her, you have to hand the business card to somebody with pride. And that right. is representing, it's a very Japanese idea. That's right. With pride. And, and they processed through it and she got it redone, but how important it is to have, and I can tell you with, we deal with mostly emerging and growth brands. It's, it's an imperfect, just like College Pro has always been imperfect. And yeah. so beautiful, I call it beautifully imperfect. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and learning, right? A lot of the yeah. emerging brands are growing and going through their growing pains, but it has to, I, I feel proud uh, recommending them in, in the in the grand scheme of things. We've been at it a while. I know I'm looking at the clock. And like, oh, wow. Okay, we've been at this a while. Paul, I just wanted uh, a couple things. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, as we were preparing, I'll, although I, 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 I subscribe to a lot of Covey and Collins and yeah. digging Brene Brown right now, I, I would consider myself a Wolnerite on how <laughs> I approach a lot of things in the most positive way. And I, uh, you had a huge impact on how I view organizations, learning organizations and skills. And, yes. and, and it's meant the world that you just spent some time. And then, cause it's, it's, it's really important in order to know where we want to go and, and for College Pro to meet the world in 2021 and go forward is to know where we've been and take all that great stuff of where we've been yes. and adapt and meet the world uh, where it is. 
Um, so thank you so much for spending the time. Really, oh, you're very welcome, man. This has been uh, really uh, very enjoyable to have a chance to have this kind of conversation with someone who's been as long in that journey as you know, as like we're not. It's not ten years, not fifteen years of our lives. Each of us, absolutely. I think we joined at the same time. Yeah, and and uh, uh, so. It has been such a consequential piece of my my life and whatever contribution I've made to the world yeah, has been a really important part of that. So, so thank you for uh, asking me to do this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul.